0: So on the cusp of Christmas I think it's so important to hear that message that with God nothing is impossible. But also I'm noticing some new things around the church and I don't know about you but I imagine there are certain holiday traditions you observe when it comes to preparing for Christmastide and I hope you would agree that these sacred customs leave an imprint on our memories on your memories and that they have an essence that is powerful and lasting, able to bridge the gaps of time without fail, even as our ability to remember certain things dulls with age. Yes, it happens. So I can recall some of the Christmases of my youth, and I hope you can too. I hope they were good. Um, These are these are memories that may return each year a little dustier than before but somehow still might possess that richness that stands the test of time and I think it's because these kind of events start off as multi-sensory right and depending on what senses are activated during that moment a connection is created that can is able to be triggered later on in life I'll turn that up and turn this on okay for me, my memory has always taken up residency in my nose. So um, the smell of pine, pecans, not pecans, uh, cinnamon and cloves take me right back to, to Michigan if the temperature is right. Uh, but it is the memory of gathering around with my sisters to take out my father's nativity set uh, that really takes me back. You see, my grandmother, she collected nativity sets and I always thought by the sheer size of her collection that my father would have inherited, whether he wanted to or not, a little bit more than the one that we had. But the one that we had was perfect. It was loved. All the pieces were housed in an old J.C. Penny's shirt box. Except for the manger. The manger had its own box, whose cardboard fibers had somehow become embalmed by layers of glue from several applications of duct tape. It was well loved. And I can't tell you how excited I was to set the scene for what would become Christmas. But then again, those are patterns. And I hope you have these patterns in your memory. They're touch points. And although Christmas and nativity sets find themselves quite fixed to the calendar year. Right? Don't take out the creche before Advent 4 or the altar guild will come after you. Right? The work of Advent and Christmas is ours all year long. And in case we forget, the church in her wisdom reminds us of its primacy the whole year. For on March 25th, we actually have the feast day of the Annunciation, where we hear the same reading, and that's nine months before the Feast of the Nativity. Then on May 31st, we have the Visitation, where the Magnificat that we heard so beautifully sung this morning is written down. And then, right as summer begins, we have the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. Thus, the story of Christ's Incarnation is marked intentionally throughout the year by the events that surround it. And more, the Magnificat is said almost daily, or at least finds itself as one of the suggested canticles to pray in the daily offices. Just think about if you said the Magnificat daily, what would change? I, for one, think that Mary sang that song often and it's a song that Jesus would have known growing up. These patterns then ultimately draw us into a life cycle, into what theologians call the Paschal Mystery and I know you've heard that term before. And the only reason I say it again is because it's so important to know and to understand because it's here we learn of our beginnings and where we ultimately encounter our endings. These patterns are important because, as I have said, the Lord's patterns are to be our patterns. And praying these patterns, praying these prayers shape what we believe and ultimately who we are and what we become. And no other person knew this clearer than Mary The mother of our Lord. The story of the Archangel Gabriel's visit to Mary is a profound encounter, one of those moments in Scripture where we bump up against the existential boundaries of our belief. And we rightly approach this encounter with what Rudolf Aldo calls the numinous, or in the Latin, mysterium tremendum et fascinans, right? It's tremendously mysterious, and we're fascinated by it. We're scared, and yet we're pulled in. And so we respond in kind and ponder what manner of salutation this might be. For Advent is not just about preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ or the advent of his birth on earth, but so also, as Bernard of Clairvaux reminds us, of Christ's advent in our hearts daily. And oftentimes it is prayer that becomes the vehicle for this sacred encounter. Since about the 12th century, Mary's encounter with the Archangel Gabriel has been immortalized through a prayer that has become known as the Angelus. And I got some good Roman Catholics in here, so you'll know this and feel free to say it along with me. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And while this devotion may solely be carried on by Roman Catholics these days, it hasn't been so always. In fact, certain parishes in the Anglican Communion adhere to this practice, saying it before and after Mass. History surrounding this prayer is not as clear as you might expect, however. Very little is said about its origin and development as compared to other Christian devotions. In general, we know that the praying of the angelus was a practice that was formed as an offshoot of the Liturgy of the Hours. At evening Vespers, monks would pray three Hail Marys and meditate on the mystery of the Incarnation. The practice of reciting Three Hail Marys grew into a larger devotion of praying the Angelus in the evening, in later years at dawn, and finally at midday. As the adherence of the memorial grew, each time the prayer was observed, practitioners began to commemorate three significant events of our Lord's life, namely his incarnation, his passion, and his resurrection. the pattern with which they commemorated those events was slightly different. For one commemorated the incarnation at night, you see, and then in the morning they commemorated the resurrection. And then at midday was always the passion, but I want you to see that pattern where we take our rest and hope and then are awakened to the new reality of life in Christ afresh each day. Our Lord's patterns are to be our patterns. Touch points, then, you see, are awfully richly laden with meaning and promise, and while weekly we gather to celebrate the Lord's resurrection and community, it is in our daily encounter with him that we find these spheres of incarnation and resurrection coming together, And such profound encounters are meant to be held closely together and held together daily. Entering into those spheres of influence offers to the Lord's disciples, you, peace. As the rhythm within them and within us grows stronger each day, it is a practice that grows with years and oftentimes in silence. Or as one of my favorite Advent hymns reminds me, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. For God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. For in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. May the patterns of your life in Christ bring you peace and joy, my friends. May the week to come remind you evermore of who you are and whose you are. May the grace that was found in the Word made flesh find in your own heart a resting place.